This is episode number 161, and today we're kicking off an entire week focused on how to make disciples. Welcome to the Practical Christian Podcast. My name is Travis Albritton, your friendly neighborhood Bible teacher. Each week, we'll dive into the tips, tricks, and hacks that you can implement in your daily life to become a more effective Christian. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump into your daily dose of practical Christian training. So guys, this week, I am really excited about what we've got going on here on the podcast. Uh, We're doing something we haven't really done, at least to this extent here on the podcast, in that I am going to be taking you behind the scenes and explaining how I make disciples so that you can have a proven method to follow if it's not something that you are really familiar with or have a lot of experience doing. I'm going to walk you through every step of the process so that you can go and take that information, that knowledge that you learned this week, and apply it to make disciples uh, in your life as well. Because ultimately, multiplication, making disciples, is a part of discipleship. And it's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit bears fruit in our lives. And so it's tempting to think that because it's a fruit of the Spirit, that somehow it's going to magically just happen. That because you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit will just make disciples through you regardless of how much effort you give it or how much experience you have. But the truth is, it's also a skill that needs to be honed and cultivated. Just like any other spiritual discipline, it takes both God working through you and you working diligently as well. And so we're going to cover a lot of strategies, a lot of practical things that you can do to make disciples, but all of those strategies that we cover are secondary to a more important question, which is what are we converting people to? That if we're making disciples, who are they going to be disciples of? And the answer is not you. <laughs> you know, you're not trying to persuade people to follow you. We're trying to persuade people to follow Jesus. Now, I recently had the opportunity to preach on Acts chapter 2, which is the moment in the New Testament when the church really started making disciples. And what Peter lays out in Acts 2 is the why behind discipleship. And so, with the foundation of what you hear today, you'll be ready to dive into the rest of the episodes this week and have this as a solid starting place that All the strategies in the world are of no use to us if we don't have a really clear sense of what we're calling people to and why we're doing it. So, without further ado, let's dive into Acts chapter 2 and a great week of learning together. Let's take a moment to say Happy Mother's Day again to all the mothers that are with us. We're so happy that you're here, especially my mom and my wife, who will both be watching later. Happy Mother's Day. And today we're going to continue our series that we started last week about the book of Acts. And we're titling it Unleashed. I love this. This this looks super intense. So, but I want to start out with a question. Have you ever wanted something so badly that it hurts? That it physically hurts you because you wanted it so bad. You know, maybe it was getting married to the person you've been with for so long, you're just anticipating the day when finally, finally, you can be together. 
Maybe it was uh, your first car as a teenager. Just all your friends had cars. All your friends could go drive to Wendy's whenever they wanted. And you had to ask permission or get a ride because you didn't have your own wheels. And then finally, finally, the freedom to go wherever you want and be home by nine. It was just incredible. (laughs) Maybe it was graduating from college. All of those years spent building for this moment where now you have to actually be an adult. It's an incredible reward at the end of that journey. But for me, the thing that I'm really anticipating at this moment is the arrival of my first daughter, Riley. And, uh, yes. So we're about six months in, and so at this point, it's like, all right, we've, we've done the pop and circumstance. We had, you know, we revealed the gender, and it's just time now, all right? It's, let's... You know, I know it takes nine months, but maybe we can, you know, this. Because every day just seems to stretch on. It's like, oh, how much longer? We have three more months? Okay, I'll be patient. But, but now that it's, it's almost here, it's like, it's like time is stopping. Because I'm so invested in this one thing. And, and, and I really do, at times, wake up and think, I'm just ready to be a dad. And so, uh, which is, Andrea, that's actually how I feel. So be... We're very excited. We're very excited. But today, what we're going to talk about, we're going to read about a people that were desperately longing for something and how they responded when it didn't turn out quite the way that they planned. But before we get into that, I'm going to recap a little bit from last week. Last, last week, we talked about Acts chapter 1 and specifically about a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. So this is before Jesus leaves to return to heaven, and this is the fulfillment of what the the disciples, the apostles, have been looking forward to. And so in Acts 1, it says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, this is Jesus, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days, a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And all of that time spent following Jesus is about to pay off for these people. The yearning each one of those disciples felt to be used by God, to do God's will, to be a part of something bigger than themselves is about to come true. And so as we jump into chapter 2 this morning, we're going to find the apostles along with the other disciples that were still loyal to Jesus, waiting in the upper room, the second story of a house in Jerusalem. And just imagine how it felt knowing that any moment this incredible launching point will happen. That years of following Jesus, seeing him do miracles, stump the religious leaders, the hope-shattering crucifixion where it all came crashing down. Three days wondering how it all went wrong. And then seeing Jesus come back from the dead. Talk about a roller coaster of emotions. But now it is time. And so in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. 
When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Think about this moment, the culmination of everything you've been looking forward to. It's happening, guys. It is, it is really happening. The shot has been fired. The race to unleash the kingdom of God on earth has begun. And the Holy Spirit has come on the disciples in a way that none of them could dispute. There was no guesswork involved. And when this happens, you know, we read that the disciples all started speaking different languages. Well, why is that? Because God wants to draw a crowd. Not only have the apostles been looking forward to this day, God has been looking forward to this day. He has been waiting a long time for this to happen, to be reunited with his people. And I love the Bible because you get some anecdotes, some details that you wouldn't expect in a really serious religious text. Like this, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? A legitimate question. Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. There's always that one person that can't take anything seriously, right? And so, but think about it. So you have this incredible moment. The Holy Spirit has come on you. And now there's a crowd outside the house. What do you do now? Two options. The disciples have two options at this point. They can either try to stop talking and hope everyone goes away. Because they're getting a lot of attention. And remember, this is the same group that just watched Jesus get killed for having too much attention. Or they could stand up and boldly step out on faith to preach a message that just got Jesus killed. Lucky for us and the rest of the world, they chose option two. So this is Peter's response to the naysayers. It says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you, who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Not even the Romans are drunk at nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So for the people that were wondering what is going on, Peter speaks to them in a way that they uniquely will understand, referencing Old Testament prophecy. Because way back when, the prophet Joel, who Peter quotes, talked about this time when God's people would be saved. For hundreds of years, the Jews have been holding on to this promise that one day God would pour out his spirit again and that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They will no longer be slaves, but free to serve God 
just as he intended. And just to give you an idea of how long they've been waiting for this day, Joel was written between 500 and 550 B.C. 500 to 550 years they have been waiting for this to come true. The United States has only been around for 240 years. So 300 years before George Washington was kicking butt and taking names, they were waiting for this to happen. And this was on the forefront of every Jewish mind. They had it rough throughout their history. They had been enslaved, conquered, mistreated, the promise of the promised land fading into the distance. But God consistently reminded them that he would be faithful to them. He would return and fulfill the ultimate promise. So when Peter talks about this day, this day happening, this is something they've been looking forward to for hundreds of years. That they would see the Messiah come and restore God's kingdom on earth. And so as Peter continues, what he's going to do is lay out a case for Jesus. He's going to lay out a case for why Jesus is the one they have been waiting for. And why the prophecy from Joel is being fulfilled. And so in verse 22 it starts. It says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know. So this is not a secret. Everyone knows what Jesus did. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan of foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David, King David, died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. That he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And so if you're following along, you'll notice that Peter makes three main points with his argument. The first one is that Jesus raised from the dead. That he was crucified, but that he is no longer dead. That he's been raised from the dead. And just as important... David said that would happen. That the Messiah would raise from the dead. That was something that had to be fulfilled by the Messiah. But it's not just hearsay. It's not just a statement. They were eyewitnesses. They saw Jesus die. And they saw him come back. So Peter lays out step by step. Why Jesus was the fulfillment of everything the Jews have been looking forward to. Now, living in the year 2018, it's easy to think about those three things as like, oh yeah, well of course. But I don't know anyone who's come back from the dead. I don't know about you guys. 
that's kind of a big deal. That doesn't happen every day. So when Peter says, Jesus was raised from the dead, that's all or nothing. He's either a crazy person or he's telling the truth. So this is really significant. And the Jews, they're following along. They're familiar with David. They're familiar with Joel. They're familiar with the idea of the Messiah. But now, Peter is about to turn their whole world upside down with one statement. He's about to drop the bombshell of the century. I'll continue the rest of my sermon on Acts chapter 2 in just a moment. So I want to give a special shout out to Glenn. Glenn, you see, is a monthly supporter for this podcast on Patreon. It's, it's brothers like Glenn that help keep the podcast on the air and keep it advertisement free. And if you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a platform, it's a website that allows you, the person listening to this podcast, to directly support the content that you have come to rely on, that you've come to appreciate every single day. And as a thank you, what I get to do as a creator is upload bonus content just for my patrons, uh, and it's exclusively available on Patreon. So for instance, uh, in today's bonus podcast episode, which I release a new one every single Monday, uh, I talk about why making disciples fuels my faith and helps me get out of those spiritual ruts that can easily plague us as, as Christians. Uh, and so I just talk about that and, and share my own experiences, and, and it's something that I, I get to offer to all of my patrons. And so if you're interested in accessing that bonus episode and other bonus episodes that I've done uh, through Patreon, all you have to do is become a monthly Patreon supporter. It's really easy to get signed up, and it only costs you $2 a month. For $2 a month, you can get extra podcast episodes. For a little bit more, you can get bonus videos. You can get access to my online course catalog and all kinds of cool stuff. And in addition, you get to help keep the podcast free of mattress and audiobook advertisements, which as much as I would love to become a salesperson for mattresses, uh, I'm grateful that all of my patrons are helping keep this podcast advertisement free. So if you want to support the podcast, all you have to do is click on the link in the show notes or go to patreon.com forward slash practical Christian podcast and uh, just donate for whatever with whatever you can give. Well, let's jump back into the rest of my sermon on Acts chapter two. But now Peter is about to turn their whole world upside down with one statement. He's about to drop the bombshell of the century. Peter says at the conclusion of his sermon, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah, and you killed him. Imagine how you would feel if you're one of the Jews in that crowd. That for more than 500 years, your entire nation has been dreaming, longing, anticipating the day when God would redeem you. Stories passed down from generation to generation, recalling the miracles in the Old Testament, and looking forward to a day when that level of communion with God was real again. Every aspect of your life was lived in anticipation of this moment. And you thought that surely you would recognize him. Surely you would know who he was. No way you could miss him with so many people 
eagerly waiting for him. But you just discovered that you killed him. He's not here anymore. Sure, he raised from the dead, but he's not here. And your thought must have been, God had this plan. And we messed it up. We got in the way of God saving us from ourselves. He had a plan to redeem Israel. And we just ruined it. What now? 500 years of anticipation. And you just figured out, let everybody down. So let's see how they react. Because the writer of Acts does capture this. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And that cut to the heart, that's not like a, oh, I feel bad because I wasn't obedient the first time, mom, I'm sorry. We're talking about the, the feeling of your stomach dropping out of the bottom of your body, right? And so that, think about, have you ever blown it? Have you ever messed up so bad that you felt that way. I want to share a story that's funny now. It wasn't funny when it happened. Um, my wife and I were living in Savannah at the time, and we loved being there. We're big fans. And I lost my job. And that was not a fun experience, coming home on a Friday and saying, hey, babe, I'm not going to work on Monday. Why? Do you have vacation? No, I'm, I'm not going back to work like ever again at this place. Not a fun experience. And so, you know, I'm kind of very logical in those crisis moments. So I'm, I'm already laying out the game plan. How are we going to get from point A to point B? Where we're going from Travis doesn't have a job to Travis has a job. And I'm, I'm executing this plan to perfection. I'm sending out uh, applications, resumes, you know, qualifying for unemployment so we can still pay bills. Like, all this kind of stuff. And... There are some opportunities for us to communicate, but I don't really take full advantage of them because, again, focused on the goal. So eventually, I go down and interview for uh, a job near here, near Jacksonville, and, and I don't actually get that one, which is really disappointing. It's like, all right, well, I guess God doesn't want us to move to Jacksonville. And then two days later, they call back and said, actually, we're going to make a new position just for you. All you got to do is say yes when HR calls you. I'm like, ah. Oh. This is like a sign from heaven. It is ordained. I will go to Jacksonville. Notice the word I here. All right. So some of you are catching on. Uh, so HR calls a couple weeks later and says, hey, here's the number we're thinking about. Does this work for you? Start date. Awesome. And I say yes. And I think Andrew's going to be so excited when she comes home. Because I have a job now. The conquest has been completed. I am now gainfully employed. So, I'm celebrating by watching Netflix while she's at work. <laughs> and, and she comes home, and I think, this is going to make her day. I say, babe, I accepted a job in Jacksonville. And she looks at me. And it's hard to describe the face that she made. <laughs> but it was like a mixture of confusion, frustration... And, like, the face you would give a two-year-old when they just did something wrong. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, oh, you did, 
you didn't want to talk to me about it first. <laughs> that is when I realized I had blown it, big time. The stomach sensation, everything. And what's funny is looking back on that story, that time, if she could have said anything, and I would have said yes to it. If she said, you know what, I'm disappointed you didn't ask me, but what would make it up to me is I really would like a new car. She's like, you know what, babe? Whatever you want. We're going to make it happen. All right? We're going to make it happen because I don't like this feeling. I want to reconcile this relationship. She said, that's fine, but, you know, I want to go on a week-long Alaskan cruise. Be like, all right, we're taking that alone. We're going on this cruise. We're going to make it happen. I'll figure out everything else down the road. There was nothing I would not have done to fix that. To fix that relationship. And if you notice, the Jews, they did not set any conditions. They didn't say, hey, I mean, that's, that's kind of bad that we killed the Messiah and everything. You know? But uh, here's our plan. This is what we would be willing to offer to God in exchange for forgiving us from doing this. Because he's probably not very happy about it. That's not what they said. We will do anything that it takes. What shall we do? That was their response. There were no strings attached. Whatever Peter says next, they were going to respond to. They were going to do anything to make things right. And maybe, just maybe, there was a way to fix this. There was a way to fix what they had just broken. And when you understand the part that you played to kill Jesus, you have the same response. When you understand that even though you weren't there, that Jesus still had to die for your sins, for all the times that you have blown it. And the Jews didn't know it at the time, but God was ready to unveil his true plan. This is the part in the chick flick where the guy chases down the girl in the cab on a bicycle and everything changes. Every single chick flick, I'm telling you. All right. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, including killing Jesus Christ. All right, so we're going to include that one as well. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So while the Jews were under the impression that the Messiah was supposed to actually lead an earthly conquest, that he was supposed to come and be like this King Saul figure, nine feet tall, super buff, and just lead them in a glorious conquest over the Romans, that was not God's plan. God had a much more ambitious plan, if you can believe it. God's plan was to wipe out the debt of sin of every person. And he wanted to infuse them with his divine presence. That was God's plan. And that was actually the fulfillment of God's original intention. This is what God has been looking forward to. Because since the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, God has wanted, desperately wanted, to walk with his people. To be with his people. 
Look at what this says. This is in Matthew chapter 1, talking about the birth of the Messiah. It says the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This was the plan the whole time. They didn't see it. They didn't understand what was going on. But this was God's plan. God with us. And there are only two things that God asks of us. He doesn't ask us to buy him a new car. He doesn't ask us for a cruise. He asks us to do two things. For any person who wants to be unified with him in this way. You can think of these as like the terms and conditions whenever you up, update your iTunes. And you're like, okay, cool, whatever. These are his terms and conditions. Repent and be baptized. That's it. You don't have to go buy a car. You just got to repent and be baptized. Now, what does that mean? Well, repentance is where you change your mindset. Where you're no longer living a self-focused life. Now, your entire life is devoted to following God. That's what repentance is. So, all he's asking you to do is, hey, if we're going to have this intimate relationship, it needs to be a two-way street. You got to give me all you got. And I'm going to give you all that I have in return. So you have to repent. You have to stop living for yourself and start living for God. You have to be baptized. You have to participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So that way you can have your sins washed away. So you can have this relationship. These are not crazy demands. These are not unreasonable for people that have blown it. That will do anything to make it right. And when you do that... When you decide to repent and be baptized, God will fill you with his divine Holy Spirit and will walk with you every day of your life. And on that day, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 Jews responded and said, yes, we will do that. And on that day, 3,000 Jews saw their lives radically transformed and discovered what it truly meant to be a family member in the kingdom of God. Each one of us has a decision to make. Knowing that it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross, your sin, how will you respond to God's offer for redemption? What will you decide to do? Will you live your life unleashed? Will you be all in? Will you respond? Because when you do, you'll discover what it truly means to be human. And discover what it's really like to live a life of meaningful life to the full. Now as we transition to communion... Uh, go ahead and dismiss the ushers for that. Communion is the time in our service where we think about this. When we think about Jesus' death in our place on the cross and being raised from the dead to offer us the opportunity for a new life. And so, as we're thinking about that this morning, if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you to take this time to reflect on your own response that you made. And will you choose to live each day with the same commitment you made the day you decided to become a Christian? Will you live every day with that commitment? 
If you're new to Christianity and you're still just new to all of this, I would encourage you to think about why you're here. Why did you decide to come to church this morning? What prompted you to be here? Is it possible that Jesus is the key to everything you've been looking for? Everything you've ever longed for? And so if you're new and, you, and you're here with somebody, I would encourage you to talk to that person and ask them more about this. Or if you just walked in on your own, talk to the person sitting next to you. They would love to talk to you more. And last but not least, if you are wrestling with this decision, if you are wrestling with whether or not to become a Christian, ask yourself, what is holding you back? What is keeping you from responding to God's offer? Why are you hesitating to fully commit? I can promise you that the reward of a life to the full far outweighs any sacrifice you would ever have to make in exchange. Let the story of Jesus cut you to the heart and respond just like 3,000 Jews did 2,000 years ago. Repent, be baptized, and be born again as a new creation in Christ. So hopefully that was really uh, helpful for you. Maybe helped you see Acts chapter 2 in a little bit different light and give you a really good perspective on why we're making disciples and why we're choosing to do what we're doing. Jesus was raised from the dead, so it's time to respond. And that call is not just for them 2,000 years ago, but it's the same for us today. And so uh, if I can impress anything on you, it's to take to heart the call I gave at the end of the sermon. You know, no matter where you are, no matter which uh, kind of situation you're in, in regards to where you're following Jesus or to what extent, you know, take that to heart. Really reflect and consider what your next step is in light of what Peter talks about in Acts chapter 2. And ultimately, guys, this is not up for debate. Making disciples is something God expects every one of us to do. It's not an optional thing. It's not something we can just do when we feel like it. And so, you know, now that we have the why, and now that we're ready to get serious, uh, I hope you're ready to jump into the rest of the episodes this week. It's going to be an incredible week of learning, of growth, and I'm just excited to be able to share it with you. Well, that is it for today. Make sure to smash that subscribe button to get daily practical tips just like you heard today. Check out the podcast Patreon page over at patreon.com forward slash practical Christian podcast to get some exclusive perks and some bonus content. And if this episode helped you in some way, please pass it along to anyone who would benefit from it. Every day is an opportunity to grow closer to God and make a positive impact on the people around you. Take action with what you've learned and help make the world a little more like heaven. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.